Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. We are thrilled to have you join us this week because we have a really spectacular interview. Jasmine will be interviewing Antonio Fragnuti, and he is the president of Animal Heroes, which you may or may not have heard of. It's an organization that has been defending animal rights in Mexico since 2015. And since 2015, they have accomplished so much. It's like completely unbelievable. An amazing, inspiring interview. Seriously, this interview is phenomenal. I know every week we say it, but I'm right now I'm pointing my finger and like at, at nothing, just so you know. <laughs> Good to know. This week on the bonus segment, we'll be hearing more of my interview with Antonio. As always, if you're a Flock member, you'll get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up, or you can find it on the Flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the Flock and you can afford it, you can join for $10 a month at ourhenhouse.org slash donate. As we have been doing uh, for the past month or two, as a special thank you to our Flock community during this uh, difficult time. We're doing our Flock Friday Zoom calls at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, and various times around the world. And we have guests generally from around the world, which is exciting. And we discuss some of the topics we're struggling with or want to know more about. So if you are a member of the Flock, check out the Flock Facebook group for updates or write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. So before we get to the interview, I just want to briefly mention something. I know that I have talked about the Encompass Essays collection before, which is a collaboration between Our Hen House and Sentient Media and Encompass. And I'm excited to be the editor of that. Well, we had a new piece come out this week, and I just wanted to point everyone to it. Every two weeks, these essays are coming out at sentientmedia.org. And this one is called Using Research and Data to Create an Inclusive Animal Rights Movement. And it's by Brooke Haggerty. And Brooke is from Faunalytics, which is an incredible organization. She is the executive director. It's a nonprofit that provides research and resources to help advocates. And we actually have an interview coming up with her soon. Well, one of the things she talked about in this incredible essay is that there's a lot of data to support the importance of having an inclusive movement. And, and it is something that draws upon a lot of research beyond just the animal rights movement, but also research they've done at Faunalytics. So I hope people take the time to talk, to read this because not only is it a good thing to be focusing on our anti-racism as the central point of our veganism and our animal rights activism, but it's also much more effective because we need all different people of, of all different walks of life and all different races and ethnicities and genders to be advocating for animals, not only in order to have a truly compassionate animal rights movement, but to have one that is ultimately effective for ending the exploitation of animals. So check that out at sentientmedia.org. That sounds like a very cool article. You have also been busy, not sure I would call it advocacy. It's more of a, another job that you took on. Well, I, yeah, I do. But you kind of turned it into some advocacy. Yeah. All right. Now I know I'm being very obscure. So tell us about it. Well, I managed to book a national commercial during a pandemic, which is very shocking to me. <laughs> as shocking as it is to you, it's more shocking to me because I do this this acting thing as well. And I did manage to book a commercial. I'm not going to say what it's for just because I can't yet. But it shot last week and there was a fair amount of improv in it. And I was able to improvise a lot of stuff about animal rights and veganism because one of the things they wanted was for uh, for, for the actors involved to really bring 
their their own authenticity and themselves do the work. So I was able to bring my animal rights activism and my veganism. And so let's keep our fingers crossed that when this airs, I think probably in about three months or so, some of this will remain intact because that would be so exciting for me. That would be very cool if the animals don't end up on the cutting room floor. Well, and of course, it was a vegan product that I was, I mean, just, well, yeah. I, yeah. I shouldn't say, of course, it was kind of like my fingers were crossed. I guess crossed. that's a tough issue for, for yeah, actors. Yeah, we, we talked about this before that one time I had, a, I had an audition for something and I didn't know what until I got there and it was for like a beef jerky <laughs> and I had to like have that conversation with my agent that I won't be doing inter uh, auditions like that in the future. And so this one, it was a very vague sort of audition, what it was for. And then it wasn't until I got the callback that I knew specifically what it was for. But at that point, I, I knew it was vegan. So anyway, uh, it was something that was like, it's bananas to have to deal with these, to deal with these issues, especially regarding commercials. So I'll keep you posted. Sorry for the vague vagueness. You could always do an ad for bananas because they are vegan. You know what's so funny? I'll tell you a little banana story. It's 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 bananas. I am getting most of my groceries from Besties. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I haven't talked about that uh, in a while. But it's a vegan grocery store in Los Angeles, and I'm going to miss it since I'm moving out of Los Angeles back to New York. But anyway, I get my groceries from that and from Imperfect Foods, which is like an organic vegetable box that comes every week. And they don't ever have bananas in the imperfect box. So I don't have bananas. And so therefore, my friend Erica, whenever she gets groceries, gets me bananas. <laughs> and so like once a week, I go to her house and I pick up bananas. That's my story. Not that interesting, but we're, we're all glad to know about that. Okay. Well, maybe more interesting than that is Bootenland. Bootenland is a hell of a lot more interesting than that. Uh, Bootenland is a film. It's a film that was made in Germany, and it's in German. It was it was by the filmmaker Mark Pierschel, who's been on the podcast before, because he also made The End of Meat and Live and Let Live. I think he was on episode 408. That was the episode where, when I was in Berlin at the premiere of The End of Meat, which I had a small piece interview in. He just re keeps recreating. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, because he has this new movie out. It's called Butenland. Uh, and it tells the story of this couple who run... Hofbutenland, which is a farm animal sanctuary in northern Germany. And they have a few other animals, but it's primarily a sanctuary for former dairy cows. And it's a really, really beautiful film. It's full of like beautiful, just kind of slow moving, lovely shots of cows, lots of mist. There's all these cow stories. And, you know, there is some footage of, of some stuff, but really very little. Uh, there's not any real brutality. There is some film of like kind of ordinary practices on dairy farms, not not excessive brutality. But, you know, it's a pretty brutal system. So these founders, uh, Jan Gerdes and Karen Mook, they have these really fascinating backgrounds. So he Mark gets to tell their stories and the film kind of tracks this trajectory of the animal rights movement through telling their stories. And Jan grew up on this farm where the sanctuary is. And he he actually left the farm because it was such a hard life. And he taught for a while. But then when his father got old, he came back. And, and he, I guess, you know, he always had some sense that he wanted to do better. So he tried to improve it. And 
improved the way the animals were treated. And so that meant they got out on pastures sometimes, which they hadn't before, at least in the summer. The film just lays out so clearly how it's just impossible, that it's just a trap, that in order to make a profit, he had to have more cows and he had to cut down on improvements and not give them the kind of treatment that he wanted to. There was just no way to do it. And he is kind of a doer kind of a guy, but he you can also tell that he was a really good person. And he, he didn't just ignore the, the facts of what was happening to these cows that were in his care. I, I think most people, when they're confronted with a conflict between their ethics and their way of life, change their ethics. <laughs> so he, mm-hmm. he chose to change his way of life. So at some point, he met Karen, who was a nurse, but she was also a longtime radical, radical animal rights advocate. She had a history of illegal actions, kind of ALF kind of stuff from back in the 80s, when the focus of the movement was mostly vivisection. And she had a very close brush with a very, a possibility of very long term of imprisonment. And after that happened, which was very scary, she decided to find a new way to help animals. And she just makes the interesting comment that she was really grateful that that all happened and that she was stopped on the trajectory she was on since they were coming becoming so radicalized and so angry. And her point is, though, is not that their anger was wrong or that the radicalization was wrong, just that it wouldn't have gotten them anywhere. Really, she's a really strong, strong character. So, so they met. He still had the dairy farm. Somehow, they said it was in rehab. I'm not sure exactly. They didn't say what it was in rehab for. But anyway, they met each other. She managed to find, recognize that he had his good intentions in his heart, even though he still had the dairy farm. And they gradually, you know, some of the animals ended up going to slaughter uh, before, you know, they, it all started. But then at some point, he just, I think he had 12 cows left and, and, he got her to help him and he st- they started the sanctuary. It's really a crazy story. And it's just, a be- wow. it makes for a beautiful movie. And you meet some other people. One of the most interesting was this dairy farmer who's their neighbor. And like, you know, he's kind of kidding around, but it becomes so clear how much he would love to get out and what an awful life it is and how he just doesn't know how. It's, it's just a trap. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm making it sound like it's all about these people, but it's also really a lot about the cows, and they just kind of set the pace of of the of the movement, and they're they're kind of easy. You know, cows are kind of slow, and and careful, and and the movie points out that it's this very nature, this soft nature that allows them to be so abused. One of the protagonists makes the point that you know people can drink uh, horses' milk. There's no reason they couldn't drink horse's milk as easily as they can drink cow's milk. But horses just would not put up with this. And cows are so, their spirit is so easily broken. And um, you get to see, like, how the cows are brought back and some of the beauty and, and the sadness of, of life at any sanctuary, especially that has old animals who aren't very well. And, and it's just mm. a lovely, lovely movie. And I think it's one you could show to people who aren't really already on board because it's not there's not a lot of brutal cruelty in it it's a lovely movie i'm so glad i found out about it it's already had a theatrical release in germany i guess they have theaters that are open in germany i don't know it sounds sounds crazy to me it's uh on amazon so you can get it on amazon it's also on vimeo and those are both for fees okay and again it 
And it's called Bootenland. B-U-T-E-N-L-A-N-D. The the name of the sanctuary is Hoth Bootenland. Very cool. Well, I'll look forward to watching that. Thank you for your take on it. I do love that interview as well that you did with with the filmmaker who also made this. Yeah, on that episode, I also interviewed a bunch of other people who were at that conference in Berlin and who were also in in the movie The End of Meat. If you haven't seen The End of Meat, it's also a really wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm in it, which you know is a major plus for any movie. Well, you did a great job in it. I love it when you're when you're in a movie. In a movie, you should be in all movies. <laughs> what a great idea i could be like <laughs> alfred hitchcock oh, yeah yeah i just appearing briefly in every movie <laughs> yeah exactly i know that you have poison ivy i hope that you're i hope that you're able to get through this interview without scratching off your skin because poison ivy is just just the most evil thing on the face of the earth and you know i i think i mentioned this to you or i mentioned it to somebody there's that old song i don't know whether you know it from the 50s by the coasters, Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. <laughs> Poison Ivy. Well, anyway, one of the lines in that movie is, you're going to need an ocean of calamine lotion. And, you know, it's a pretty sad commentary that the treatment, the current treatment for Poison Ivy is calamine lotion. That was 60 years ago. Like, we haven't come up with anything. Sixty and years lotion, ago. It does. Yeah. I'm not going to say it doesn't help because it does help, but it doesn't help a whole lot. God, poison ivy is evil, 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 evil. I hate plants. Well, I hate all plants. But you love to eat them. They deserve to be eaten. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, so I'm just going to move on. I don't either. You can't blame me for anything though, because everything itches. Because you know, you get it, you get it someplace, and then you give it to yourself. Because the oil gets on you and you don't know you have it yet. So you touch someplace else on your arm or like, and, and then it's all over the place. It's ho- horrible. All right. Uh, enough. I'm, I'm done. Well, it's so bad. Okay. Okay. We get it. <laughs> right, I'm we done. Get it. I'm done. So we love to support vegan businesses, many of whom are really suffering right now. And so if you go to ourhenhouse.org slash vegan businesses, you can fill out the form and share it with the business owners in your life and they can fill out the form and Every week, we're going to do some shout outs to some vegan businesses that that we love and that we're hearing about through the forum or through our various pieces of our life. So do you want to talk about the first one? Yeah, I, I love the name of this business. It's called Redefine Your Mind. Especially if you have poison ivy. Redefine Your Mind. I know I'd like to redefine my skin, but anyway, Redefine Your Mind. It's a Black-owned business, and its mission is to create sustainable fashions for men and women that celebrate the vegan lifestyle. And as uh, they say on their website, redefine your mind is a mind shift. We chose the name provoke thought because thoughts become words and actions. It is at the core of activism, social justice, justice for our environmental mother, earth, justice for disenfranchised youth who don't have access to the information that will help them become more compassionate, healthier citizens, justice for worker welfare, such as in the almond and fashion industries, justice for the animals and putting an end to the horrors of abuse and murder within factory farms. They have uh, T-shirts with message wear, hoodies. They also have uh, bags. A lovely hemp bag is one of their things I saw on their website that I wanted. Wallets and 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 more. And there are a lot of hemp products. And there's other sustainable sourcing. And you can find them at redefineyourmind.com on Facebook at Redefine Your Mind or on Instagram at Redefine Your Mind Co. So cool. And another company that makes vegan message wear that is organic, sweatshop-free, and USA-made is Compassion Co. 
And we know Compassion Co. is run by Andy Tabar, who is one of the hosts of Bearded Vegans. And this is such a great company. If you go to CompassionCo.com or find them on Facebook at Compassion Company or IG, they're Compassion Co. Twitter, they're also Compassion Co. I actually have a bunch of stuff from from them from throughout the years. And it's so weird that I think it was this year it was at the Vegan Street Fair and Andy was there with his stuff and I bought this really cool shirt that says like vegan means justice and I love it. It's a very size inclusive brand. It has a lot of different cool stickers, which right now are currently all over my computer. And so, you know, if you're looking to support some companies, throw that in the mix as well because they do great work. And finally, we have Wilma Bakes Cakes. This is a quote-unquote small but mighty vegan bakery. It's in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Don't get upset. I have a way you can get this stuff. They offer cookies and cupcakes, and they deliver if you're in the D.C. area, but they ship if you're outside the D.C. area. That's pretty cool. They don't ship their cupcakes in the summer, which I guess makes sense, but they have these great cookies. They have, like, banana and zucchini bread. And if you go onto their website, uh, or not their website, they don't have a website, they have a Facebook page at Wilma Bakes Cakes. And like, don't go unless you want to order something, because if you go, you're going to order something, I'm telling you. They're also on Instagram at Wilma Bakes Cakes. That's so cool. I want to go there (laughs) and order from that. I do too. Yeah. All right, let's get to this interview, because I'm super excited about it. Antonio Fragnuti is the president of Animal Heroes, which is an organization that has been defending animal rights, particularly by improving the laws protecting animals since 2015 in Mexico. And they have successfully campaigned against circuses and bullfighting and in criminalizing animal abuse in various states. And they are currently working on the creation of a nationwide general law on animal welfare, as well as on issues relating to dolphins and captivity and animal experimentation for cosmetics and lots, lots more. And he will be joining Jasmine right after this. We're excited to announce Encompass Essays, Pursuing Racial Equity in Animal Advocacy, a collection of essays written by farmed animal protection advocates who are committed to exploring and prioritizing racial diversity, equity, and inclusion as we work to create a more just animal protection movement. The essayists contributing to this virtual anthology were all attendees of the 2020 inaugural Encompass DEI Institute, a virtual training for farmed animal protection advocates which was originally held in February 2020. Our hen house was a proud sponsor. The authors, myself included, are a group of advocates who wish to document our stories and processes in an exploratory space from which we can grow. And we'd like to hold ourselves and our peers accountable and create new ways forward. Encompass, the nonprofit that organized the Institute, aims to make the farmed animal protection space more equitable by working with organizations to operationalize racial equity and with individual advocates of the global majority by helping them cultivate their leadership potential. Encompass Essays is a collaboration between Our Hen House, Encompass, and Sentient Media. I am lucky enough to be the editor of the essay collection. The only way to be an effective animal activist is to centralize anti-racism around our advocacy which requires a deep dive into the ways white animal advocates have historically used our white silence and white apathy to ensure that the animal rights movement has been centered around a white supremacist culture. We need to change that. This essay collection will provide a new, necessary way forward, one in which 
We can be held accountable for centering our anti-racism in the fight to end the exploitation of animals. Sentient Media, where these essays will roll out throughout 2020, is a robust digital platform that reports on animal agriculture and its impact on the world, as well as fosters a writer's fellowship program where newer journalists are mentored by seasoned ones. Beyond the digital presence for Encompass Essays, which includes plans for audio versions of the essays, which will air on the Our Henhouse podcast next year, Lantern Books will be publishing an anthology version of the collection in both hard copy and digital form. The book is set to be released in late 2021. Down the road, we will parlay the work of the collection into a springboard for digital panels, collaborative discussions, and hands-on trainings. Additionally, the hope is that this is the beginning of a three-part series where the authors will revisit our anti-racist work and provide updates to be published in future follow-up collections. Learn more about Encompass Essays, Pursuing Racial Equity in Animal Advocacy, by visiting sentientmedia.org slash encompass dash essays. Again, it's sentientmedia.org slash encompass dash essays. Welcome to our henhouse, Antonio. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to, to be here. Thank you very much. I'm so looking forward to our chat. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, where are you based? I'm in Mexico City. I work in... In all country, I defend animal rights and I'm here in Mexico City. Awesome. Very cool. So I have so many questions for you. I'm sure we'll get to everything. But to start, what is the mission of Animal Heroes? We defend animals in like two ways. We educate, we make campaigns. We have a lot of celebrities and influencers that help us. So we educate, but we also make legislation. We, we make a lot of lobbying. And we make laws to, to defend animals. We think that we have to help them as fast as possible. And we think that making laws is the fastest way to, to help them. I'm so right there with you. What would you say are the main goals specifically of Animal Heroes? Well, we have a lot of strategies. I have to tell you even that we have two organizations and they are not linked. People can't see the link between them. We have these animal heroes that defend animal rights in the issues that people are like aware of, like uh, like shows, like circuses, like bullfighting, cockfighting, and that kind of things that people are that think like us. That it's wrong the mistreatment of animals. But we also have another organization that uh, works with uh, animals for food. It doesn't speak about animals. It just speaks about health and environment. And that's because we have a lot of connections in legislation with deputies, with senators, with governors. And we use that power to bring laws. And we think that if we, we present an, an initiative for a law that speaks for animals, it will be not so, so well received if, if we speak about animals for food. But if we speak about health or environment, it's easier. And we're achieving a lot of things like that. So we have these two organizations. The one for the animals, Animal Heroes, lets us have a lot of connections with uh, legislators, with uh, celebrities. And now we use that connections in this other organization that helps animals in, well, in, in farms. 
You're doing so much. I have a lot of things to unpack in what you just said. And I know that many of your campaigns focus on the use of animals for so-called entertainment. So before we get into the details of those campaigns, I am curious why animals in entertainment has been a focal point for you. Well, uh, I I used to work in an organization uh, before, and they told us, you have to make a campaign for the animals and circuses, to ban the animals and circuses. Well, sorry, and and this is the the very important thing. They didn't say to ban, just to get people aware of what animals and circuses were suffering. So I thought as the Mexican director of this organization, uh, we have to do a different thing. Because maybe people is aware, but what if they are aware and what are we going to do with that? So mm-hmm. let's make an initiative, a, a legislation. We didn't know how to do that, but we managed to, to find lawyers and people who know that. And we make this, this first initiative to ban exploitation of animals and circuses. And you've had huge success with circuses. How have the victories gone for you? Yes, we started in 2014. In Querétaro and, and Mexico City, two states, we have 32 states in Mexico. We start with initiatives and we have celebrities. We contact celebrities and they agree and they let us use their image for this campaign. So uh, we banned the Querétaro and Mexico City. And it wasn't uh, very hard because it was a new issue here in Mexico, a new topic. And uh, before that, it became like a snowball, a big snowball. And we start banning in, in a lot of states. We banned half of the country with all kinds of animals, not just wild animals. And then a year later, we banned all kinds of just uh, wild animals nationwide. This is because we just have a national law for protecting wild animals, not all kinds of animals. So we couldn't ban the use of uh, an exploitation of every kind of animal, just wild animals, but half of the country has the, their own laws that ban all kinds of animals. So we started doing the legislation and we have achieved a lot more like banning bullfights in four states and cockfights in two states. It's hard because they are powerful and, and they're very violent, the, especially the cockfighters. They are so, so violent. So we have to. T- to be very, very secure, sometimes government helps us with people with guns and armed uh, taking care of us because we go to places that where people want to kill us because we, we are changing their their traditions. Right. Yeah, I suppose that cockfighting is considered a form of entertainment by some. And, and I'm I'm wondering how big of a problem it is in Mexico and how do you go about opposing it? It's a big, big problem, but it, it's a lot of things, I think. But because bullfighting is for people who had money, who has certain level of education, and they're not so violent. But cockfighters are like uh, people who didn't have the luck to be educated, that were born in places that they, where they solve their problems killing each other. So th- they want to solve this problem. The same with us. They, they want to kill us because it's the way to solve problems. And I think that has put us on a, on a big spot. And politics have seen this. And they have joined us to, to make these big campaigns. We work with all kinds of politics. We're not... not 
politicians, but we work with politics. And we have achieved a lot with that. Even the president of uh, Mexico's president have signed commitments with us. We have a campaign to sign commitments with politicians. So when they are candidates, candidates, they sign. And then when they are in the government, they have to, to respect that commitment. And we have achieved a lot with that. And you mentioned bullfighting, which I, I think a lot of people think it's just something that happens in Spain, but it's also widespread in Latin America. How, how big of an industry is it and how much progress have you seen? I think it's not a big industry, but there's people which, with a lot of power and a lot of money that love bullfighting. The, the people that has these bulls, this supposed to be a, a special breed, a special kind of bulls, they are the, the same owners of the farm animals. So they are wealthy. They have a lot of money. And this is a, just like a pleasure. They don't need money. They just make this because they love it. So it's uh, not growing. It's the, the contrary. But uh, they are very powerful. So when we try to legislate, it's very hard because they have a lot of money. They have lawyers. We're mostly volunteers. So it's hard, but we have a lot of uh, celebrities that help us, very important celebrities in Mexico. So they help us a lot. And I think the, the secret and the difference between Mexico and United States for this animal rights uh, achievements are the electoral system, the voting system. The companies can't, in Mexico, they can't help and, and give money to the candidates. And in the United States, they can. So when the candidate win, they owe the company or the person who helped them. And in Mexico, you can't. So uh, they don't know. They don't owe the company like Ringling Brothers or, or I don't know. And uh, if we hit very hard on their image, if we say we want circuses without animals and this politic don't want them, uh, he's very, very aware of that. And he, he tries to, to get a good image. So mm. he votes with us. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's good. I'm not sure of the, just for the good image, but at least change, change is happening. I know that you've been doing work regarding captive dolphins as well. So can you tell us about that a bit? Yes. In Mexico, we have uh, like 30 dolphinariums and like 330 dolphins captive. So we, we have a campaign called Salvemos a los Delfines, means let's save the dolphins. We're trying to ban breeding in captivity because we can't today close the, the dolphinarium because we have these dolphins. And the government is not going, going to pay for those uh, dolphins' uh, maintenance to, to keep them in, on a sanctuary or, or, or I don't know. So the first thing we're trying to achieve is to stop the breeding. And uh, like two years ago, uh, some, some deputies tried to, to assure the breeding of these animals with a law. And we stopped that. We fight a lot. Even the, all the, all the topics in the deputies chamber were stopped for two weeks just because we're speaking about these dolphin things. And, and it's not so important, but it's, uh, I don't know. We have, I don't know why we have achieved so much power of, in this topic of animal rights here in Mexico that we could stop all the deputy, all the deputies chamber for two weeks 
just to speak about these dolphins things. And we we stopped that. We stopped that initiative and we won. But we, we still have to, to stop this this breeding. We mm-hmm. just won and, and stop the initiative to assure the breeding, but we still have to stop it. And what is the current status of laws protecting animals in Mexico? I think it's funny because when we speak about human rights, we're not so advanced. But if we speak about animal rights, I, I think we're more advanced than with, any, with human rights. And I think it's because of, because of strategy and, and also because now the politics know this is a, a very likely topic for people. So they want to, to give a good image. So they know that this topic is very likely for the people and that we have a lot of celebrities helping us. So they, they make good things for animals just for their image. Some of them, some of them believe really in this, in this topic, but, uh, they make this to, to have a good image and we're, we are uh, taking advantage of it. And you keep mentioning celebrities. Can you tell me a little bit more about the work that you do with celebrities and who these celebrities are, what their role is in your advocacy? Yes, we make campaigns like uh, Mexico sin tauromaquia, means Mexico without bullfighting. And we ask them to make videos, to tag certain politics, which we know are the important people. So we make uh, strategic campaigns and then they join us and they start to tag these people on, on social social media and they have uh, millions of followers so these millions of followers ta- start speaking about this and telling these politicians to to vote uh, in the way we want so uh, it's it's that easy it's that easy that's so great. And who are the who are the celebrities? Are they actors, musicians? Actors, musicians. Yes, I don't know if you know that that in that these people in the United States, but they they are Café Tacuba. It's uh, the biggest uh, rock band in Mexico. Also, oh. Eugenio Derbez. It's a Mexican actor, but he lives in the United States and he acts in in Hollywood movies. Uh, Marco Antonio Regil. It's a big big, and they also work with Peta. And with other organizations, Mercy for Animals and other organizations, um, and big groups, big Kate El Castillo. She's she, she was famous because she was with Sean Penn with the Chapo. Uh, it's a drug dealer here in Mexico. They interviewed him, so she's very very famous. She also lives in lives in United States. And I, I don't know. We're, we're very lucky in Mexico because the the biggest stars love animals. And maybe they're not all vegan, but they love animals and we use their image and they agree to help all kinds of animals. That's why I told you we, we just focus on like entertaining animals because they, they agree with this, but we use this power to help the other animals in this other organization that we mm-hmm. have made to, to make laws in animals for food. Yeah, absolutely. That's so great that there's such widespread support. I want to go back to the laws for a moment because I realized I had another question uh, regarding the laws protecting animals in Mexico. Can you tell us about the general law on animal welfare that you're working on? Yes. Uh, In Mexico, as I told you, we we have 32 states and almost every, every one of them 
we just have a lack of one, Oaxaca, that doesn't have a, an animal protection law. Uh, every state has an, a law. So uh, they are very different. In some states, you can be like, a, I don't know if it's a word like a zoophilic, zoophilic. It's like uh, having sex with animals. It's right. Mm -hmm. You can do that is in some states, and wow. in other states, you you will go to jail. So we think we need a national wide, a nationwide law to protect the animals in the same way in in all the country. So we're making this law where bullfights are banned and breeding mm -hmm. of dolphins, cockfights, also uh, better conditions for animals in farms. We're not like, it's called like bienestarismo, like the welfare. We, we're not for welfare, but it's a step for us. We're working on that and on that law for like four years ago. It's uh, a long way, but we have a lot of resistance, a lot of enemies, the, the bullfighters, cockfighters, the breeders of uh, wild animals. It's legal also in Mexico to buy a tiger, a lion, an elephant, and have it in your house. So we're working against all of them. So this law is, is, has been very difficult, but now we have more power than ever with the politicians. We have uh, created a thing, it's called Bancada Animalista. I haven't found a translation. It's like a group of politicians of every every political party, we have like seven, eight political parties in Mexico, and a lot of them have signed a commitment with us, and they work for the animals. Sometimes they love animals, sometimes they just want to have a good image, but they vote for the animals. So we're like very practical. If they vote, it's okay. And uh, that that's the way we, we achieve things with this Bancada Animalista, which has a lot of support. And we just uh, achieved uh, like a, four months ago that the Senate approved that there will be no more uh, testing on animals for cosmetic industries. We just have to pass the deputies chamber, but we have passed the half, half the way. Now we're about to, to achieve it in the deputies. And now, and then it will be nationwide has there been a change in how receptive legislators are to animal issues? Yes, but we're having a problem. When we banned uh, the exploitation of animals in circuses, it was a huge, huge victory and everybody was happy. But then it was a funny, funny story because, well, not so funny, a, a gorilla died in uh, Mexico City Zoo. Mm. And then a political party said, let's, let's close all the zoos. And that's not possible because we have more than 20,000 animals in Mexico. So we can't close them like this fast. So one woman that used to sold animals from circuses and, uh, that's what, that's, that was her business. She said to the, to the media, all the animals from the circuses are now dead. They took them away from us and they are dead now. And that was a lie. But the media doesn't care. They just want to, to spread any news. And that was like a very viral news. So mm -hmm. people, a lot of people think that the animals were dead. And uh, now it's a little bit harder for us to make a law because they, they say, but what about the animals in the circuses? They are dead. No, they are not dead. These are the numbers. These are the official numbers. Are, but a lot of people think that. So 
we're now fighting against that information. And also, there's a hard thing because we have became so powerful, like a movement, not just because, not just as animal heroes, the movement, mm -hmm. but I think we're the most powerful uh, if we speak about politics and laws, that cockfighters, bullfighters, circuses, the sellers, the breeders and sellers for wild animals are now joining. So now they they are one force. They mm -hmm. are all together. They have wow. built organizations to defend their traditions, their works, and they have money because the, this is a business for them. So we're fighting against that. And it's very hard because mm -hmm. it's not just a, a security thing because it's dangerous. It's also that they are, they can be uh, in other countries. They can be uh, also making lobbying in other country, other states. And we can't be that, that big because we don't have, well, money to, to, to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's a new thing in Mexico. Well, And, and just kind of shifting gears, what what about other systemic issues? Like what's happening with cruelty-free cosmetics? I think it's growing because people is very aware for for the animal suffering in some in some issues as everywhere. They, they agree that they don't have to be mistreated in labs for cosmetic uses, not for medical uses, but for cosmetic. So. Th that's why we're about to to achieve this this banning on 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 testing. The, the COVID nineteen came in between, so we we haven't achieved it, but we're about to to achieve it. So people is very aware of animal mistreatment in some some industries, and we are using that. We are just making laws in what people is that most of the people agree, and we're achieving that. Well, and you brought up COVID-19, and I know Mexico is having a hard time in the pandemic. Do you think this will shift things for animals in any way? Yes, we have to stop this uh, cruelty-free campaign. It's called Libre de Crueldad, that means cruelty-free, because people are starting to to mix the themes and they think, if you don't want animal exper animal experimentation for cosmetics, maybe you don't want it to for the vaccine. So we want the vaccine and we don't want to stop animal experimentation. So they are mixing this, these topics and that has, uh, well, delayed our, our work. Mm -hmm. And also I think here in Mexico, we don't know anything about what's happening, what is gonna happen. We are like, I, I haven't go out like for 120 days, I think. And, uh, but a lot of people are at the streets. So we don't know what's happening. We don't know if schools are returning. So people are worried about this and not about animals. So mm. we're trying to make campaigns that connect with people and to still making laws. We just have to, we just have made a, a press conference on this pandemic during this pandemic about uh, kids not entering bullfights and cockfights. Because right. the UN made a recommendation for Mexico and said, please stop the kids going into the bullfights and cockfights. And, mm -hmm. and we're making that because we're still working on, uh, on legislation. The deputies and the senators are still working. So we still, we still work. We still make a lot of lobbying, but 
people are not supporting so much, even in social networks, but less in in being partners and with uh, donations because people is scared. But what's going to happen? So we're the same. Animal heroes is uh, in danger of of keep existence, uh, our existence, because it's a very hard time here in Mexico for money for don't knowing anything about what's going to happen. Right. Right. There's so much shifting and you're doing so much. How, how would you describe the animal protection movement in Mexico as opposed to five years ago? Wow. I think the circus without animals have uh, changed the things in Mexico because it's the first time that it's a big campaign, a nationwide campaign that achieved so much and so fast. And uh, that it's is very important for politicians. They got aware of it. So they are making a lot of initiatives, sometimes not well done, sometimes with uh, misinformation. So we have to keep behind them and to 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 work a lot in, in that because sometimes they think oh, we're going to help animals and we're going to make a lot to, I don't know, to close zoos, as I told you. You, you can't close because there are, as I told you, 20,000 animals in zoos. If you close them, what's going to happen? And if they die, they're going to say it's our fault. So we're not going to be able to make another law. So we have to be very smart and to be strategic. And I think this is happening because of the growth of the movement. Also, mm-hmm. I think a thing that's happening in Mexico is that we're not so professionals as a movement. And it's a lot of fighting between organizations. And one organization is saying, this is a thief, and this is, uh, he just wants to be on TV, and fighting with each other. And that harms a lot the animals here in Mexico. So we're making also, as Animal Heroes, uh, a campaign called Mexico for the Animals. And we take our celebrities with us to speak to animal defenders, uh, organizations, independents, uh, dog rescuers, and to, to tell them how to communicate, how this fighting hurts animals. And we have to mm-hmm. keep uh, unity uh, as a movement because the, the animal exploiters, they are uniting. So we have to unite to help animals. And we're making this campaign and we're giving courses. We're about to give one to organizations to be more professional to communicate well, to get money, to to be professional. We want to help this movement to grow because we need it a lot. We're growing and we're not so mature to, to we're not ready to, as a movement, as a nationwide movement, yes, to use this, this growth. Right. Yeah. And that resonates with me. It's, it, I, I recognize that the United States is much further along in terms of our organizations but there is so much infighting that, you know, really does harm animals. And I think you put it well when you said that the animal exploiters are banding together. So we need to band together, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe we don't think the, the same, but at least we have to respect each other. To don't mm-hmm. speak about the other publicly, to say he's a thief, I don't think. No, because people outside that, that are not animal defender or animal exploit exploiter they are in the middle so if we fight they won't approach us they, they will right. i don't know for let us take each other down <laughs> yes yes that, that's enough for now 
Yeah, exactly. Well, you just described the animal protection movement in Mexico five years ago, but what do you expect to see in another five years? I think that we're going to be more more professional, more organized. We work with a lot of organizations, little organizations uh, in, in a lot of states. So we're making a big, big movement and uh, we're having elections again. So I think if we were powerful in the last last elections, we're going to be more powerful now because now they know the power of this topic with the people. I remember the presidential candidates, we had four, and the four of them, all the, all the four, they signed the commitments. And when they sign it, they post it on their social networks and they posted pictures with their dogs or with their animals. And uh, a lot of people, a lot more than in any other post, like that. So they know that. They know that people like animals. They love their animals. So that's why we're using, we're using that to, to make them make commitments. Because it's not just a picture. You have to... We have to actually stand by our commitments. Yes, that's, I think. that's it. You're absolutely right. And and I think that it's incredible to see how far you've come. And I, I think that there is a long way to go, but but your momentum is strong. And people, I, I have to believe, I have to hope that people do err on the side of what's right. Ultimately, we just have to kind of get people out of what they have known for so long. And our world is, is so entrenched in animal exploitation that that's where our work comes in as activists. And once people recognize that there are ethical alternatives, then more and more people want to be part of that side of history. Yes, yes, I think the same. And I think we're, this is a very, very nice moment for animal rights uh, worldwide, but well, I, I know in Mexico it's a, a great moment because uh, people is aware, and we have social media, and I think we know our power now. We can join on a campaign and make politicians know that we want this law to be yeah, to be passed, to be approved, and uh, we have achieved a lot, but we can achieve a lot more. I think I'm I'm very hopeful that that we will achieve a lot more and that I will see with my eyes that animals in farms, animals in shows and in entertainment, it's going to be banned. I'm going to see that. I'm going to see it in my lifetime. Yes, I love that. Uh, what is the state of veganism in Mexico? Oof. It, it's really <laughs> hard to answer that because in Mexico, we don't have a lot of statistics and mm -hmm. it's a very, very different conditions for, for all the people. We have a very wealthy cities like Mexico City, a big city. And we have also very, very poor places and states where maybe not poor, but with not communication, not, not schools. And they live happy maybe. And they have food, but they are not aware of all, all these things. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to to be in Mexico and, and to know what's happening. I was asking my, my friends in so many interviews to, to my celebrity friends, if veganism is not a privilege here in Mexico. And I don't mean because it's expensive. It's because we can think about it. And maybe so many people are um, 
into their their problems like my husband hits me because it's a lot of violence here or uh, I don't have money I don't have to eat so what are you talking about when right, you speak right. about animals so I think it's a privilege but it's uh, in Mexico I think the TV educates a lot of the people it's very sad but it's this way so a lot of celebrities are becoming vegan or close to vegan. So I think more people are imitating them just for imitation because they want to be like their celebrities. So we're using them a lot to tell people that you can change your lifestyle and you mm -hmm. can save lives, you can save the planet, you can save your health. And we're using them to, to spread this message. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not... Not the biggest movement, but I think we're growing a lot. Right. And I think you bring up a lot of really good points, you know, just in terms of like people have to sort of deal with their situation that that is in their household. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have much greater emergencies yes. in their life. And it, that is a matter of life and death. And it, it can be really easy to be on the other side of that and say, oh, please, everyone should just go vegan. Yes. But I, I think that that misses a lot of the point. Well, um, that's for why we, we're using this other organization to say it's not about the animals. Mm -hmm. It's for your health. It's for the environment. It's also for, for money, for economy, because we're spending a lot of money in our health system because of the obesity, because of the hypertension, mm -hmm. uh, diabetes, and a lot of things that could be changed and solved if we eat less meat. But right. as we're not speaking just about animals, because I, I think in Mexico happens that if we speak about animal rights, you lose a little bit of credibility. It's work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they think you're doing it for the animals. And people don't care so much about, about the animals to change their lifestyle. But if you speak them about the health, the environment, and the, the, the money is spent in our health system, they listen. So right. that's why we're achieving these new things. In this campaign, the COVID-19 is killing a lot of people in Mexico because it hits harder on people who is obese, so who has another conditions, another health conditions like diabetes and that kind of things. To, so now we, we're about to launch a campaign that says uh, the obesity is also a pandemic. So we have to stop some kind of sugars and uh, uh, some certain things and the meat. Mm -hmm. So we just don't speak about the meat. We speak about the things that are harming us and the meat. So they don't look, us, look at us like, oh, you, you just want to save animals. No, this is just for health. I don't care right. about the animal uh, rights. And I don't know. that We're just separating these topics. I don't even appear on that other organization. I'm also the president for that organization, but I what never... What is it? What's, the, what's it called? Come Conciencia. That means eat with science, but it also means, uh, it's a game of words, that means eat conscious. Right. And uh, it's with science. They are doctors, nutritionists, that just speak about health and environment. They're not mm -hmm. animal rights defenders or nothing. They don't speak about veganism. veganism. It's 
uh, they can't speak about veganism. It's just mm-hmm. uh, the diet. You have to stop eating meat because of the environment, the health, and all the things, but not for animal reasons. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Yeah, it's it's great that you're taking this multi-pronged approach. And Antonio, I'm hoping that you stay on the line with me because I want to chat with you for our bonus material. But before we do that, can you tell our listeners how they can find you online and how they can support your efforts? Yes, uh, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Animal Heroes. We have a website. It's called Be Animal Heroes. It's in English, beanimalheroes.org. And you can find us there. We speak Spanish, but we also can answer in English. We have some pages in English. We have like Salvemos a los Delfines, Save the Dolphins. Salvemos a los Delfines, it has an English page, so you can support it. We have a lot of web pages to, to support each campaign because people doesn't want to get involved very much. So we have to make them easy. And we make a web pages where you can push a button and support the campaign, just uh, voting and just saying the legislator, the politician, that you want this law to be approved or to be rejected. And we're making a lot of things to, to make people get involved because we're not animal heroes because we are heroes. We're in, mm-hmm. inviting everyone to be a hero for the animals. So you can yeah. be a hero pushing a button. Wonderful. Well, Antonio, don't hang up, but thank you so much for joining us today in our hen house. I'm such a big fan of the work that you're doing to change the world for animals. And I I really got so much out of today's talk with you. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Jasmine. And thank you, everyone who's listening. If you want to help, please help. We need a lot of help here in Mexico. So thank you very much. Did you know that you can dedicate a podcast episode to someone you love? For $200, you can not only honor a loved one, human or non, but at the same time support Our Hen House's efforts to change the world for animals. As a bonus, we'll throw in a one-year vlog membership. Our Hen House is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on contributions to support our efforts to change the world for animals. We've been on the air every single week without missing one since January 2010. For more information on how to donate an episode and support vital independent media, please visit ourhenhouse.org slash donate. Anxieties are rising. You know whose anxieties are rising? One Amanda Radke of Beep Magazine. This is her column. Build back better our food supply without meat? Hard pass. Not too surprising, I guess. All right, she's really upset. <laughs> she so often is, that all of these special interest groups are trying to take advantage of COVID-19 to get rid of meat. Oh, God. From your lips, Amanda. Folks, if 2020 has taught us one thing, it's that special interest groups, politicians, and media conglomerates truly believe the mantra, never waste a crisis. We are seeing all kinds of ugly things play out since the coronavirus hit the United States. And I believe the roller coaster is just getting started. Buckle up and prepare for impact. I don't even know what she's what is she talking about. Well, the one thing that she does actually explain that she's talking about is that uh, activist groups are manipulating people's emotions and preying on their fears uh, during this crisis situation. Even though families are being dramatically impacted emotionally, physically, and economically, she's apparently on the side of the families and the activists are on the side of, I don't know what, like evil. 
she's discussing this uh, recent virtual event called Shift 20, which was hosted by the Institute of Food Technologists. And apparently, the some of the quote-unquote experts who presented placed a load of guilt, shame, and burden on the poor in our country. And what she's referring to is that people are being encouraged to uh, stop eating meat and stop and making dietary changes. She just thinks that's awful. Um, and that people who say things like this, Tara Garnett, what COVID is showing is that people who are poor, people who have underlying health conditions are the people who are going to suffer the most. You know, people like that are just trying to like hurt the poor. Like what? <laughs> what are we talking? Are you having trouble following this? Because I'm, I'm uh, having trouble following it too. But her real, her real issue is that all of these folks believe we should build a better food system without meat involved, which does seem like it would be a vast improvement on a lot of levels to me, but to Amanda. Uh, and then she goes on to the one specific proposal that she talks about is, quote, one way is to encourage convention centers hosting events to default all meals to vegetarian and attendees would have the request to opt in with a meat option. I mean, that sounds like a great idea to me. And exactly how does that impact the poor? <laughs> Are the poor in the habit of going to conventions? Uh, it's a little confusing here. But no, quote, it's elitist, controlling, and a narrative that needs to be countered with factual information about animal welfare, the environment, nutrition, and using our natural resources to feed the world. I wish we would get a little factual information on, on those things. But, you know, we're not going to get it here. Oh, it's time to ring the alarm bells and call out these elitists who use fear, guilt, shame, and pressure to change the dietary habits of the food insecure in order to push their plant-based agendas onto the world. I mean, God forbid anybody should try to improve anything because apparently we're just trying to um, hurt everybody by providing them with more food that's healthier and and getting them to uh, have a better diet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm having really trouble following it. Actually, I have a second article by Amanda, also from Beef Magazine, and uh, this is on a very different issue. And oddly enough, it's one in which I wouldn't say I agree with Amanda, but I think there are considerations to be had here that sometimes aren't paid attention to by the people on the side of what this column is about, wolf reintroduction. Colorado to vote on restoration of gray wolves. Well, she's upset about this, that there's going to be this, uh, this, this ballot initiative in Colorado. There is a, quote, heated debate over a ballot initiative that, if passed, would reintroduce the gray wolf into the state. And she goes on to say that despite the positive response to the proposed initiative, many in the agricultural, environmental, and wildlife communities are issuing words of caution should this pass. Of course, our, our interests are different. And this, I, I think the, the interest of the livestock industry is well stated by Terry Frankhauser, who's the executive vice president of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, quote, this measure poses a direct and immediate threat to humans, domestic pets, livestock populations, and wildlife in Colorado. I think that it's a fair chance that what Terry is really worried about is livestock populations. It doesn't really present a threat to humans since wolves don't go around attacking humans. Domestic pets, there have been incidents, you know, if you don't, if you don't care for your dogs and cats, yeah, that could happen. Wildlife, well, you know, wildlife, that's a tough one. Like, the wild is a troubled place. <laughs> there is much suffering in the wild. And in this one instance, are we to fix that by removing predators? You know, I, I won't even get into that. But the thing that, you know, 
gives me hesitation here is, as I've often said, that uh, I don't necessarily always agree with the proponents of these initiatives. They say they want to give wolves a fair playing field and uh, that they shouldn't be oppressed and uh, that wolves and other imperiled carnivores have, you know, are going to be extinct. And research has shown that the effectiveness of many conservation initiatives depends not only on ecological factors, but also on social factors like the public's attitude toward a species. And, you know, I guess the implication there is that reintroducing wolves will improve the attitudes towards the species. And it, the fact that it could be passed by a ballot initiative shows it's already popular. My hesitation is that, you know, if you're going to get, if you're going to bring the wolves back, which I am all in favor of, you know, I, I love wolves and I'm not trying to fix the wild that there's no predators because I don't know how to do that. But uh, you got to get rid of the livestock industry and you got to get rid of people who are going to want to kill these wolves. Uh, and it's the livestock industry that wants to kill these wolves. So you can't bring them back to these incredibly dangerous situations. They're pack animals. When some of them are killed, their pack is completely disrupted. I mean, we've seen all of the incredible cruelty imposed upon wolves. So to make these proposals, as environmental groups often do, to bring back these animals without doing something about the livestock industry, I... I I have hesitations about it. I sure do. All right. Also in Colorado, Governor Paulus appoints anti-livestock activists to boards that deal with farmers, ranchers. Well, oh my God. Oh my God. This, they are pretty upset about this. So this um, Governor Jared Paulus, you know, and he has, they talk a lot about the first husband, which is, you know, Governor Paulus's husband, who apparently is very animal friendly. And they're worried about these appointments that that the governor is making to a, a variety of different um, different boards that he can appoint members to. One is the Parks and Wildlife Commission, and one of the people who's being appointed to that to represent agriculture, along with the two other uh, farmers and ranchers, is Eden Vardy of Aspen. That's right, Aspen. According to his LinkedIn profile, Vardy is the founder and executive director of the Farm Collaborative a nonprofit that connects children and the community to nature and their food system and solves global climate challenges through local food production. Well, that certainly sounds like someone who should not be on this board. Oh my God. Imagine we have that kind of a perspective. All right. But the real, the, the one that they're really upset about is this woman named Ellen Kessler. And she is, according to this article, an animal rights activist and avowed vegan and she was appointed to the State Board of Veterinary Medicine. And that works uh, with the Colorado Department of Agriculture uh, because of the state's, quote, huge livestock industry. And they do not want this woman anywhere near this board, even though it's just about governing vets. The purpose of the vet board is to review complaints against veterinarians, review the often technical and complex data. Forbid that we would have an animal rights activist reviewing data. Uh, going back to the text, and then decide whether the complaint justifies disciplinary action. Like, why are they so worried about this? It's like the vet board, but no, they 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 do not like losing control, and this is something that they have had control of. Quote, where the state veterinarian is under the Department of Agriculture, that whole thing is a can of worms at best. I was surprised that he put someone on that board who admits they have a professed bias. Yes, and she has professed herself to be an animal rights activist. All over, it's all over her social media. She cares about animals. She has strong uh, views. She has posted memes and slogans condemning the ownership of animals for work and food. 
She is apparently the real deal. So she has a professed bias. But the ranchers or the farmers that you appoint to these boards or the people from the industry that you appoint to these boards, they have no bias? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's how they see this. They just see themselves as the norm and us as as being prejudiced. Unbelievable. People are so blind. So uh, we'll see what happens. Apparently, the board appointments will have to be approved by the legislature, and they're pretty sure that they can overcome uh, these appointments. So this may not last very long. But in the meantime, uh, this Terry Fankhauser from the Colorado Cattlemen's Association said he questions whether Kessler can be objective when sitting on the board, given her well-known opposition to the livestock industry. Unbelievable. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and you're able in these difficult times, you can support us by joining our flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with. Another great way to support us is to leave a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at at ourhenhouse. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And of course, tell your friends about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, and to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Podcast Haven for their work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez. We will be back next week with a brand new show, so don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a Flock member, remember to check your email or the Flock Facebook group on Tuesday for your bonus content and join us on Fridays for Flock Fridays, where we do some really cool Zooms that you'll want to join. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jasmine Singer, and be safe out there. Social distance, stay home, wash your hands, and listen to podcasts.